I've had a lot of people ask me about Unfinished. What is it that we're doing? What what is the point of the series? And uh, I think the only answer that I've given so far is that it's an unfinished series uh, for unfinished people. And uh, and that's kind of where we are. What we're actually going to be doing is looking at uh, a book of the Bible. We call it a book. It's actually a letter uh, that was written in the first century by a missionary named Paul to a group of people uh, who were in the city of Philippi, hence the name Philippians. Uh, But that's the book that we are going to be studying. And we're going to be going through this book sort of topic by topic, not quite verse by verse, um, as as some of you may be accustomed to, maybe from from your church background. Um, But this is the first time that we've kind of attempted anything like this, uh, either as Cultivate or in sort of the recent history of being together. Uh, So this will be sort of a new endeavor for us. So it's kind of a a cross-section between what we're used to in terms of a topical study, um, built with a, a study of one particular area of Scripture rather than kind of pulling things from a number of different areas. So you may notice some difference based on that, uh, because other than highlighting a few different things, we're going to be sort of plowing our way through the book in its entirety. And there's a real reason that I think is a benefit for us to do that, and, and that's this that so often when we read the Bible, we read it from our perspective. Isn't that right? And so when we listen to the stories of Scripture, when we read the Bible, a lot of things don't make sense to us because we weren't there during the time when it was written. Anybody? Was anybody there? You were? (laughs) Don't go pointing around. But none of us were there. And so, and so sometimes what happens is when we read the Bible according to our storyline, our narrative, uh, what's happening in our lives, it makes sense to a certain extent, but a lot of things get missed or misinterpreted because they're taken from the original context and sort of dropped into our lives. So it, essentially what we're doing is we're trying to take the opposite approach by saying this, that, that we are, as believers in Jesus also in the same story as the believers of Jesus who this particular letter was written to. We are are part of that same storyline, that same narrative arc, that same trajectory. We follow in their footsteps. And so what we're doing by taking some time to actually investigate a particular book of the Bible is that we are sort of placing ourselves within the biblical story and saying instead of God... What is your will for my life? God, what is your plan for the world, and how do I fit into it? And we started to do a little bit of that through the One Life series, correct? Um, But we're going to sort of continue that same vein of thinking uh, into this this study of Philippians. Um, So the the way that I got um, sort of this topic of being unfinished is that you'll see in in a few minutes as we get into the text that, that becomes the overarching theme of what Paul is talking about to these believers. Essentially, he's saying there is an unfinished story that's being written. There's an unfinished building that's being constructed. Uh, there's an unfinished road that's yet to be paved all the way to its finish line. And you guys are part of that road. Uh, and so it, it's a good thing for you to feel unfinished in your own life. Um, and many of you can maybe you know, attest to that, I certainly can, that that you sort of feel like this incomplete 
piece of something larger than yourself? Well, that's actually a good feeling because when we feel that way, God is able to come alongside of us and use us towards this unfinished work that he's in the process of doing in the world. Uh, So I decided that uh, one of the things I wanted to do when we started this series was to try to to find out what sort of unfinished things were out there. So I decided to Google this term, unfinished building projects, and see what what it resulted in. Uh, So one of the the most interesting articles that came up was on Wikipedia, go figure. And uh, Wikipedia had an article with a list of all these different building projects that had been started but not finished. Um, and so I, I looked through that list. I probably took more time than I needed to, uh, but I was having fun with it, so I went with it. And, and by far, the most um, interesting uh, unfinished story of any one of them uh, was an unfinished building by the Scientology religion um, called the Superpower Building. Anybody ever heard of this? Superpower Building. Uh, it's in Clearwater, Florida. It is, and yeah, we have it up there now. It's a 15-story project. It, it doesn't really look unfinished, but apparently inside there's like nothing going on. Like there, no walls, no, no finishing, anything like that. It's a 15-story pro- project. Began in 1998. It was halted in 2003. It's kind of gone through spurts and starts, but it was never completed. And so it sort of remained this unfinished landmark in Clearwater, Florida. It's actually the largest, or would be, the largest commercial building in Clearwater. And so it's sort of this vacant, unused building. The original budget for the building was $26 million, and uh, currently it's sort of double that in terms of actual project costs uh, before they halted it. And here's the kicker. This is what makes it so interesting to me. Do you know what the project, what the building is intended to be used for? This is the best part. Listen to L. Ron Hubbard. He's the, the founder of the Scientology some would call it a cult, but um, he, he says this himself. This is, the, this is the intended use of this building. He says, a super fantastic, I love it already, a, <laughs> a super fantastic but confidential series of rundowns, which I guess are, are uh, exercises, that can be done on anybody that puts the person into fantastic shape, unleashing super power. Do you get it? The building where you go to gain superpowers is not able to be finished. Right? I love irony. Don't you love irony? <laughs> there is an unused building intended to give the people who go there super ability, and yet they're not able to finish it. Apparently, you need to get your super ability at that particular place. Uh, otherwise, maybe it would be finished. I love it. Um, and it would be even more funny uh, if it weren't for the fact that I realized as I was sort of laughing over this uh, that there are a lot of things that I don't finish in life. Um, th- there are a lot of things that, that remain unfinished in my own life, in my own heart, in my own mind um, that, that are sort of these unfinished landmarks that are sitting in the middle of the city called my life uh, that I think God has intention to finish, uh, but for whatever reason, I haven't quite gotten there. A good visual representation uh, to prove this to you, uh, this is a current picture of my sun porch. Uh, it, isn't it? 
It has been this way for, in that current state, I just took this this morning, for at least a year. Um, the project, though, has been going on for, for far longer than that. Uh, budget has run over, and uh, <laughs> so has the amount of time and level of expertise of the person completing the project. <laughs> and so it, it remains an unfinished work. I, I, Mandy was reading through the, the, my notes for this particular sermon. She, she got to that part, and she goes, oh, no. <laughs> How embarrassing. Um, here's the thing, though. So when you take on something in life, oftentimes when, when you start that project, whatever it happens to be, uh, it, you minimize the cost going into it, right? Uh, and so it, everything seems easy before you get to the road bumps. Everything seems like it'll be a simple finishing job. Uh, it won't take that long to do. It won't take that much skill. Uh, I certainly have the number of tools to get it done. But then when we get into the middle of the project and we start to hit some of the road bumps, we say to ourselves, uh-oh, right? You ever have like that uh-oh moment where you go, whoa, this thing is maybe a little bit bigger than I tried. And then you end up hiring somebody to do undo all your work plus finish the job itself. Um, I, I kind of feel that way here sometimes. Um, like, uh, you know, I, I had said yes to this monumental project called the Cultivate Church um, with, with all the glee and and ignorance of a 12-year-old. And, uh, <laughs> and then you sort of get into the middle of the project and you realize how difficult it is and how many obstacles there are and how imperfect we all are, uh, how imperfect I am. And, and we begin to have that oops moment, like, oops, maybe, maybe this was a bigger project than I had anticipated. Um, maybe it's time to call in some outside help uh, to get it done. Um, I'm guessing that, that you've kind of felt that way in your life, too. Anybody have felt that way over a certain thing in their life? <laughs> Some people are like two hands. <laughs> um, sometimes the things that we take on in life often seem like they're too big for us to handle. They, they seem like they're just too daunting, uh, that we'll never accomplish them uh, on our own. Even with help, sometimes they seem like the, they're just too massive of a project, and why is it, why did I get myself into this thing, right? Um, oftentimes, life can feel that way, and I was thinking about different scenarios. Oftentimes, Christianity can feel this way. Uh, if I'm being brutally honest with you, uh, sometimes it feels like everybody else has it easier than us, doesn't it? Uh, why, oh, why did I have to go and be a Christ follower, right, and have all these demands on my life and have to give my life away for the sake of the gospel, and and have to treat people the way that I would want to be treated, to have to love them as myself, uh, to have to love God with every fiber that's within me, uh, it's a daunting task, right? It, it, it can be a very large project, and sometimes it seems easy to begin with, and then when we get into the midst of it, and we realize some of the people that God puts in our place to love, uh, it becomes more difficult, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, sometimes it would have just been easier to think, you know, if I could just continue down my blissful road of ignorance prior to, to knowing Jesus, things would have been just fine, you know. Um, to be honest, though, that, that isn't an original question. It may seem like one. It may seem like one that we've sort of come up with uh, here 
in the 21st century, but it isn't. That was something that the very first believers had on their minds. A lot of them had come out of religion, um, uh, Judaism, uh, that was the accepted religion of the day. Um, Many of them had come out of sort of a pagan religion um, by the Roman government that was accepted by the day. And so when you chose Jesus over and above those other things, which wasn't an accepted religion, you were choosing a lot of difficulty for your life. And so a lot of these people were coming back to the person whose name is Paul with this very question. Why did, why did you do this to me? <laughs> why did I get started with this? How, you know, because life seems a lot more difficult now than it used to. Um, like us, they had a strong start. Uh, they had been given a fresh new beginning um, in Christianity, a fresh new church that had started in the midst of, of dependence and decline. Uh, it was a Holy Spirit kind of start. And it all started, you may know this story, when God directed a missionary by the name of Paul not to go in one direction, right? Not to go to a certain place, but to come to another place, a port city, named Philippi. Um, And these Philippians, these people that he encountered, were one of the very first churches that Paul established. Uh, And it was no accident as we've actually looked at ourselves. So do you remember these three characters? Remember these guys? The fashionista, the ex-soldier, and the slave girl? This is their church. These are the people that that Paul encountered. Remember, we we looked at these guys all the way back in January. We talked about it was no accident that that God shut the door to one location and gave Paul a dream to go down to this greater region called Macedonia. Philippi is one of the towns in Macedonia. And these are the people that he encountered. And now this letter that we're about to make our way through is the letter that he writes sometime later to these same folks to tell them to stick to it because God has a plan for them. So I thought this kind of fitting to sort of bookend one life with both Paul's initial sort of contact with these people all the way back in January or Acts 16 where it happens in the Bible and now his follow-up letter to that time that he spent with them to encourage them to continue on the same path because I think we can have a lot to learn from them. Um, So Paul uh, writes this letter to these believers in order to encourage them that God is going to finish the work that he started. That's the theme of the entire letter. And so that's where we get unfinished from. Uh, And like any letter, it it begins with sort of a a salutation, a beginning uh, where he addresses the people that he's actually sending it to. So we're going to start in in, um, chapter 1, verse 1. He says this, Paul and Timothy, that's who's writing the letter, Servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Saints isn't a term for Mother Teresa or for the soon-to-be Saint, uh, Saint uh, uh, Pope John Paul II. Um, saints refers to everyone who calls themselves a believer in this city of Philippi. And he says, together with the overseers and deacons, that is the people who are in leadership there, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a letter written from Paul and Timothy, who are in one place. And this is like cutting-edge technology in their day. So if they would have had video conferencing 
they would have done it through video conferencing and Skype. Um, but in that time, they weren't quite so advanced at that point. So letter writing was their means of technology. And they're using this cutting-edge technology to encourage the people in Philippi. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we use some modern-day technology to actually get ourselves oriented to this world? So I'm going to have Kyle actually bring up, uh, by way of technology, Google Earth. Can you see that? There we go. That is the world. And, and to, to kind of orient ourselves, we're going to sort of zoom in from where um, we are here in New Jersey. So Kyle will uh, zoom us down in. Ooh. All right. So that's where we are. Here, I'll actually stand up. Uh, you can see the building, the parking lot. The, uh, the, the garden isn't quite in yet. They haven't updated it for that. You can see the helicopter down at the bottom. Um, but that's where we are, here in New Jersey. There is another very real place. See, the thing is, when we often read Scripture, we miss the fact that there are real folks who it was written to. We miss the fact that there's a real person who's actually penning the letter uh, who wants to convey real, concrete encouragement to people. So what we're going to do is actually zoom from here all the way over to Rome, Italy, which is where Paul was stationed. And by stationed, I mean in prison. <laughs> uh, he had been talking about Jesus in one too many places with one too many of the wrong people, and he fell into the wrong crowd because of it. And uh, as a result of that, he uh, was thrown into prison. Um, and, and most people, um, when they're reading the book of Philippians, believe that Paul is writing this from a jail cell in Rome. So you can see here, here's the Colosseum. It was actually being built about the time that the letter was written, about 60 AD. Um, real place. And he's writing this letter from Rome to a people in Greece, and we'll go there next, in the city of Philippi. So we'll zoom away from Rome, all the way over to the northern side of the Mediterranean Sea, into a region of the world called, at that time, Macedonia. Today it's Greece. Um, and we'll actually zoom down in. Now I just lost myself there. Where did we go? Scroll it over to the left a little bit. Yeah, over there all the way to the left, you see that little outcrop there. The reason I'm zooming in on this is because they actually uncovered the ancient city of Philippi. And that's it. Um, you can even zoom in on it a little bit more. Maybe highlight a couple of the pictures. On the right-hand side, you see the amphitheater. Uh, that's where they would have gathered to hear plays and acts and um, to hear uh, speeches, to participate in local government. Uh, this is a major center of the Philippians' world. And then on the left-hand side, you actually see uh, some of the ancient marketplace. So this is where they would have come to trade goods, um, to, to purchase things that they needed for their household, uh, to meet with other people. Um, this is where Paul would have gone uh, to, in his original journey to Philippi to convey the message about Jesus. He would have gone here because it's the very center of activity um, for this city of Philippi. Back when we were um, looking at this originally from, from Acts, 
We talked about how his first encounter, uh, or one of his first encounters, was with a woman named Lydia. That's the fashionista. And there's a river that runs along um, kind of to the, the, the west side. Um, I don't know if you can see it over there or not. It's very small. It's actually where that white patch is, um, just above the cursor there. Uh, there's a small river that runs through here. That's where he met Lydia. That's where he encountered these first women who came to faith in Christ and taught them about this new life in Jesus. And they went from there back to their homes and conveyed that message to other people because it was so important to them. The reason I do all this is because it's important for us to kind of wrap our minds around the fact that these were real folks and that Jesus was doing a real work with real people just like us in a real place. And so when we think about our neighborhoods and our community and and the the folks that we meet with in our town squares and in our amphitheaters, uh, those are the very same people, if we're part of the same storyline, remember, it it all goes back to this, that Jesus wants to encounter in the very same way. And he may prompt you and he may ask you to be part of this unfinished work, and that's exactly what we're talking about. So Paul is writing to these very people, uh, and he's writing them a letter which has to do with this unfinished work. And so one of the the key phrases that he begins with is actually in verse 6, where he draws them back to this confidence that he has. And he says this, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will will carry it on to to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion. What is the work that he began in those, those people? It was this kingdom dream that Jesus had for the world. This is the very same one. We're continuing that same story arc through the city of Philippi and even into our own lives. Um, and he will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. One of the things that we celebrated just last week, was the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the major things that that identifies is that Jesus is no longer dead, that he's alive. And, as he said numerous times, he was going to come back one day to bring about the completion of God's entire plan for the world. So one day, his dream will become a full reality in every sense, in every way that we could possibly mean that term. And that, that... our job on this world from, from resurrection until return is to embody that same dream in the way that we live our lives. That's that one life concept. And so we're returning to, to that to kind of make a bridge between what we were saying with Jesus and his life to what Paul is saying to this church because it's the same dream. And Paul has absolute confidence that that dream is going to be carried out in every way in the lives of those people. So you may ask then, what is it that gives him such confidence? Like, why is it that that he feels so confident about that plan being completed in them? And he gives the answer in the very next verse. Um, It has to do with their partnership with him. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So he says, whether I'm in prison as I am now, or whether I'm out roaming the countryside, all of you have participated with me in this major work for God's kingdom dream in the world. 
And because of that, because of your partnership with me, I have full confidence that God will complete everything he said he will complete in your life. Do you see, folks, why it's important for us to see our lives on the same trajectory as those people? Because if we're part of the same story, then their reality becomes our reality. So what's true of them becomes true of us. So we don't just read an ancient history text and go, well, that was great for them. Obviously, God's going to do some cool stuff for them. We say, no, with confidence, God is going to complete his work in me, in you, in us, in Cultivate Church. Why? Because we partner with him. And that's actually the, the word that they use, that word share. All of you share in God's grace with me um, is, is the Greek word sunkoinanos. Sunkoinanos. That's easy for you to say. Uh, there's, another, there's another Greek word, though, that, that we know sort of well that it's related to. It's the word koinonia. So, so what does that word often get translated as? Fellowship. Yeah. What does fellowship mean? Like potlucks in a damp basement, right? <laughs> Some of you get that joke better than others. We had a <laughs> what does that mean, fellowship? Get together? What's that? Gather and worship? Yeah, I mean, it, it's become a lot of different things, right? And we sort of use it synonymously with every time that, that two believers happen to be in the same room, right? Preferably over a meal, right? <laughs> if, if there's a crock pot involved, it's definitely fellowship, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. End of sermon. <laughs> <laughs> if we were to rewind the, the clock back to their time and, and actually inspect what it is that, that Paul is saying when he uses this word koinonia, um, it does get translated fellowship, and I think fellowship is a good word for it, but maybe we've sort of shortchanged that word a little bit. Um, the word fellowship meant partnership, but in the ancient world it was actually a business contract that described when two parties would sort of enter into a contractual obligation together based on a common desired outcome. That's really what fellowship means. That's what koinonia means. It's, it's two parties or multiple parties that are, are joining together to pursue a desired common outcome. That's really what it means. So if that's really the definition, what is their desired common outcome? It's God's kingdom dream for the world. So Paul takes this very sort of business term that was used in the public marketplace that we just, we just looked at. People would enter into koinonia all the time with one another. They would exchange things for common purposes. And Paul takes that term out of the marketplace and he applies it to the church. And he says, what you and I have together, it's koinonia. It's partnership. Based on what? Based on the fact that we have a common outcome, that we want to see the reality of the kingdom at play and infest everywhere across the entire world. And you guys, in, in he says to the people in Philippians, you guys here in Philippi, um, 
you may not be able to travel all the way around the world from town to town and city and so on. But I'm doing that. And because you partner with me, because we're in Koinonia together, God will complete his work in you. That's what he's saying. Um, They participated. They supported him. Actually, down to the point where Paul is now in prison, and he says, whether I'm out traveling the countryside or whether I'm stuck here in this prison cell, you guys support me. And what he means by that is they actually sent money to him so that he could live. Back, back in the Roman days, you didn't just like get food and water because you needed those things and you were in prison. You had to have people on the outside who would support you or else you would literally rot in jail. You, you needed to have some kind of support system set up uh, so that you could continue to live and, and, and make your way in the world. And so the unprompted, it seems like, from the, from the letter, these people in Philippi sent a generous donation back to Paul and said, we support you even to this day. And Paul in return says, because of your partnership, because you've sent this, because you've You've inquired about me because you care about what happens with the gospel in the world. You guys have partnership with me. And based on that partnership, I am confident that God will complete his work in you. So the fact that you and I are here this morning uh, in a church, participating, singing in praise and worship, uh, listening to to the, the word of God being spoken, having... Uh, fellowship with one another, we have partnership in the same storyline as these people in Philippi. We're part of that same work. And therefore, I can say with confidence, the same as Paul did, that God will complete a work in you, in us. So, let me ask you this question. What is unfinished in your life? What is it that God... uh, has as an unfinished work in your life that is yet to be completed, that stands as sort of an unfinished monument, like the the Tower of Power or whatever. (laughs) What is it that he wants to complete in you? What is he prompting you? And this is going to be the question over the next, well, 12 weeks as we uh, go through this, this book of Philippians. What is it that God wants to finish in your life? Because I have confidence that he can complete that work in you, but it is based solely on your willingness to partner with him. And so often in our lives, we want God to do an amazing work in us, but we're not willing to, to give him anything in return, right? So, so we say things like, God, I want people to know me as a humble person. If you could just, if you, I just want people to know how humble I am. <laughs> and God's response would be, we'll begin to put others first, and they will, right? And so he always, you know, whenever we come to God and we say, I want you to work, God often says, yeah, sure, I'll work, but I want that, whatever that is. I, I want that. And we go, ooh, not that, right? I'll give you anything else. Here, here's the, the smorgasbord of everything that I'm willing to offer you and God says, no, no, you don't understand. The thing that's holding you back from that unfinished work that I have planned for you is the thing that you're putting behind your back for me. Right? So if it's humility, then put others first. We say, God, I, 
I wish so desperately that I could make wise choices in my life. You know, I just feel like I fall into the same ruts over and over and over again. I just, I succumb to the same things constantly, and I don't have wisdom in my life. And God says, well, if you would actually come to me and ask for wisdom rather than turning on your television for it, you may get it. It sounds simple, but it's the truth, right? God always finishes his work of grace in the lives of people who fully participate in his work. So what is God asking of you? What is the unfinished thing that he wants in your life? Because I have confidence, as Paul did, that he will complete that work. But we need, with everything within us, to to have full partnership with him in order for that to happen. Uh, I want you to imagine, if you can, what it would be like to be a follower of Jesus in the time of Philippi. And Paul is, is encouraging these people that God is going to continue the work in them if they choose to partner with him. Um, but imagine what it's like in this time. Philippi was a city uh, that was known for a lot of Roman soldiers. One of the people that started the church, in fact, right, was the ex-soldier that Paul encountered when he was in jail there. The reason for this is because a lot of the people who were fighting the battles for the Roman army around its borders and territories were given uh, plots of land. They were given uh, pensions to come and live in Philippi by the Caesar, the emperor of the day. Now let me ask you this. Do you think this is a pro-Roman town? You have massive numbers of people who are living there on full pensions from the government. Who do you think their allegiance is to? The government, right? I mean, you're going to be in allegiance with the person who's given you your livelihood and has now offered you pension to live out the rest of your days in comfort and luxury for some of them, which they didn't have before. A lot of them had nothing when they entered the Roman guard. And now you have a city that's full of these people. Where is their allegiance to? It's to Caesar. How does Paul write this first letter? He says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, there's a new king. There's a new emperor. And I'm calling you guys in Philippi to, to serve, to, to give your allegiance to this new king. Because the old king is not the real king. Jesus is. If that's your message in Philippi, how successful do you think you're going to be? It's going to be pretty difficult work, right? It's going to be pretty hard to carry that message into the marketplace that we looked at and go, actually, uh, you know, it's not Nero who's who's the emperor. It's this guy Jesus from Jerusalem. Your your message isn't going to go over too well unless God is with you, and that's exactly what Paul is trying to convey to these people. That God is with you and will carry that work to the day of completion. So let me ask you this. When we look around our neighborhoods, when we look around this town, and we say things like, gosh, it just seems so dark. Man, the people that I run into in my daily life, they just seem so lost. Or they they seem so stuck in their ways, like nothing is ever going to change in their lives. And they just tell me that all the time, and it brings me down when I listen to them. When we encounter the people at work and they're so stuck in their 
predetermined worldview that has nothing to do with God or Jesus or the Bible. And you hear that voice whisper in your ear, it's too difficult, it's too hard, the work is too long, it will take far more than you're able to give of yourself. It is that moment when we hear the words of one of the first pastors to his small congregation in a town that was opposed to the gospel say, he who began a good work in you will carry it to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. Bank on it. It's going to happen, so get with the program. Right? That's his message. And he's going to begin to continue laying out that message piece by piece to these Philippians. So as we're looking at this, I think we got a lot to learn, right? I think I've, I've got a lot to learn throughout this process, and I hope you feel that way too. He ends uh, the first part of this letter by giving them a prayer. Um, and as I was kind of looking through that prayer, uh, I think it's a, a fantastic prayer uh, to pray over our congregation as well. Uh, and he says this um, in verses 9, 10, and 11. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, until the day that Jesus returns, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So this is my prayer for Cultivate for the next 12 weeks, that as we are looking at this, inspecting this together, asking the question, what is the unfinished work that God has in each of us to complete, that over these next weeks, that we would be filled so much with love of God and love for other people that it results in a major change in the way that we all think and act towards one another and to the outside world that it would infect every single area of our lives, that we would talk differently and think differently and act differently and respond to criticism differently and forgive others differently because of the love of God that's at work within us in the same way it was at work within them. And just like these early believers who in the face of, of really coming trials and difficulties that they were about to face, I pray that we would orient the way that we live our lives down to the daily choices that we make over what we do and how we interact with people in such a way that we are saying with every action and with every word that we are looking forward to the day when Jesus inaugurates his new kingdom in the world. Because that day, folks, it's coming. It's on its way here now. And so you have one, cho one choice or another. You can either ignore the fact that it's on its way and live your life the way that you've always chosen to live it, or you can orient every day of your life as if that day is the pressing thing that's on its way and look forward to the, the day when he returns with joy and expectation and hope that God is going to take all the things that you've been striving for in your life with God's help and he's going to complete them and make them new and they are going to go on and live on in God's new creation for all of eternity. The last thing is that, uh, that we would experience the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. Righteousness is kind of a long-term biblical term that means right living. That we would begin to live our lives in a way that reflect just how much we love Jesus. That that love would permeate everything of who we are 
and that we would love people the way that God loves them. Not to our own credit, not to our own glory, not to our own ends, but just as Paul says, to the glory and praise of God. That he would get the credit for all the things that we do. For every garden plot that we give away, for every piece of food that's handed out to a mother in need, to everything that we do in our small groups when we comfort those other people that are in need of love and affection, that all of that would be to God's credit because it's he who began the work in you, it's he that completes it, and God never starts something that he doesn't finish. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a finisher as well as a beginner. And Lord, we, even before we get to the finishing, God, we thank you that, that our presence here, even today, is evidence that you began something in us. That we may have been drugged here originally, not of our own accord, but for whatever reason, God, you've, you've used all the days from whenever you began that work until now to bring us to this point this day, this time in our lives. And so we recognize that, God, and we thank you so much for beginning that work in us. And then we thank you also, God, that you plan to carry that work to completion in Christ. So I pray even now, as we are considering the unfinished work in our lives, whatever that might be, and I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would make that known to us even now not to condemn us not to give us guilt not to use that as a way to guilt us into anything else but just to make us aware to convict us of the reality of the way that you see things how do you see us God pray that you'd make that available to us that we would see ourselves our lives in this world the way that you see it and whatever that unfinished thing is that we would pray with confidence that you are going to do a work in our lives in such a way that when we look back on our lives after this moment, we would say with confidence, you brought me through it, God. You completed the work you had for me. I am a new creation because of what you've done. God, we make it our goal to give you honor and glory and praise and credit for everything that you do in us. Pray that you would make this church a living monument to what you're able to do in a life and what you're able to do through a community to reach this world and to infuse it with this dream that you have for it. God, we thank you so much for the privilege of calling us to be a part of that work. Even as unfinished we are, you use the weak things of this world to shame the wise, to shame the powerful, to shame the strong. It's in our weakness that you are shown strong. So, Father, we pray that you come and be strong where we are weak and use this time in Jesus' name. Amen.